The following is a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC. Here we go, the Hawkeyes without any timeouts remaining. Into the end zone, a flag, touchdown, what a catch by Smith. He hung on to it. Brandon Smith with one hand in behind Tino Ellis. Fantastic catch by Brandon Smith. One-handed, he's getting held. He fights through the contact, grabs it with one hand, brings it to his body. That's going to be a touchdown, Hawkeyes. Phenomenal individual effort by Brandon Smith in the corner of the end zone. Hello, everyone. This is John Patchett, and welcome to the football show from Hawkeyes Mike. This is our new Reporter's Notebook podcast featuring Scott Docterman, who reflects on the Hawks' homecoming win over Maryland and previews this week's Iowa-Penn State game. And you'll hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game, Iowa's Kirk Ferentz and Penn State's James Franklin. This Hawkeyes Mike podcast is one in a series of our weekly programs, which include sports reporter Scott Docterman of The Athletic and Steve Batterson from from the Quad City Times, former Iowa kicker Ron Colosi, and our own Tyler Chumeland and Jack Bransgard. The Iowa-Maryland game highlights are courtesy of ESPN2 with announcers Mark Jones and Dusty Dvorak. We very much appreciate it and thank them. How many things have you touched today? Hmm? Ooh, a puppy. <laughs> How many places have your hands been? Ooh, a keyboard. 24-hour hand sanitizer protection just makes sense. Prefins, a silica-based hand sanitizer protects your hands all day. Stays on, up to 10 washings, moisturizes, alcohol-free, and safe for the kids. So go ahead, touch anything and everything. Ew, a toilet. Prefins, keep your hands germ-free all day. The Iowa Hawkeyes travel to Happy Valley this Saturday to face the Penn State Nittany Lions in a key matchup important to both ranked teams and the Big Ten. Iowa is on a three-game winning streak and currently stands at 6-1 and one overall, 3-1 and one in conference play. Penn State is 5-2 and two and 2-2 two and, two and has lost two of its last three games, both at home, to Ohio State and Michigan State. The Nittany Lions escaped from Bloomington last Saturday with the 30 23-28 win over Indiana. Iowa is ranked 18th in both the AP and coaches polls. Penn State is 17th in the AP and ranked 16th in the coaches poll. Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz is the winningest football coach in Iowa history and his record now stands at 149-98 and at Iowa over the past 20 years. He's also the dean of college head coaches. Penn State head coach James Franklin is in his fourth season in Happy Valley with a record of 34 and 13. His overall record as a head coach over seven years, 54 and 32. Penn State leads the series 15 to 12 and has won the last four games, including last year's at Kinnick Stadium, 21 to 19, on the last play of the game when Nitz QB Trace McSorley threw a seven-yard touchdown pass to Juwan Johnson as time expired. Iowa is seven and six all time in games played in University Park. While Iowa's defense remains highly 
ranked in key stats, both in the Big Ten and nationally. Iowa's offense and special teams are making some splashes as well. Iowa is the most explosive team on third downs this season and now has accumulated 737 passing yards on those plays. That's an amazing number. Iowa's offensive line has allowed only six quarterback sacks in the seven games played. It's the fewest in the Big Ten and tied for ninth fewest in the nation. Quarterback Nate Stanley has now thrown 16 TD passes this year. He's just one shy of tying Matt Sherman for fourth all-time in program history. The Hawkeyes have only punted 23 times through its first seven games. That's the fewest in the Big Ten and 120th nationally. Also amazing. And Iowa leads the nation and the Big Ten in kickoff returns, averaging 30.1 yards per return overall. Amir Smith-Marset is first in the conference and third nationally with an average return of 33.3 yards. Of note, the Hawkeyes' defense was on the field for only 39 snaps last Saturday versus Maryland as Iowa's offense completely dominated that game in terms of time of possession and total plays. On the other hand, Penn State's defense has spent a lot of time on the field the last two games, playing 189 snaps the last two weeks, something to keep an eye on this Saturday. You might expect numbers like that to have taken a toll on the Nits defenders. Iowa's defense leads the Big Ten and is fifth nationally in scoring at 14.1 points per game, and it's held four of its seven opponents to their season-low point totals. Iowa is second in the conference and the FBS in rushing defense, giving up just 79.6 yards per game, and second in the conference and third nationally in total defense at 251 yards per game. Iowa only allows 2.7 yards per carry, that's sixth nationally, and it is one of just three defenses in the FBS to have allowed only three rushing touchdowns all season. The Hawkeyes have 22 sacks, that's second in the conference. Defensive end A.J. Epinesa leads the team with six sacks, that's also second in the conference. Anthony Nelson has five sacks so far, that's fifth in the Big Ten. Despite exhibiting defensive vulnerabilities this season, the Nittany Lions lead the Big Ten in sacks with 25, and they also lead the conference in tackles for loss, averaging eight point four per game. Star PSU quarterback Trace McSorley accounts for nearly 60% of Penn State's entire total offense this season, having rushed for 554 yards and eight touchdowns and passed for 1,461 yards and 11 TDs. Penn State leads the country in scoring offense in the second half, averaging 24.86 points in the last two quarters. In depth chart notes, more positive news for the Hawkeyes in terms of the two deeps and injuries. Last week, Iowa outside linebacker Nick Neiman returned from injury, and this week, starting middle linebacker Jack Hockaday is also expected to return. The only question mark at this point appears to be a starting cornerback Matt Hankins, who's been slower to recover from his wrist injury than might have been expected. He is on the two deeps, but Ferentz didn't sound overly optimistic on Tuesday that Hankins might actually be able to play this Saturday. His backup is true freshman Julius Prince, who has been very good filling in the past few games. 
In tidbits and nuggets, kickoff at Beaver Stadium is set for 2.30 p.m. Central Time. The game will be televised by ESPN with announcers Steve Levy, Brian Greasy, and Todd McShay. As usual, it will be broadcast on the Hawkeye Radio Network with Gary Dolphin, Ed Podolak, and Rob Brooks. It will also be available on Satellite Radio, XM Channel 382, and Sirius Channel 211. With one more win, Kirk Ferentz will become the Big Ten's fifth coach in history to win 150 games or more as a member of the conference. The others in that group, Woody Hayes, Amos Alonzo Stagg, Bo Schembechler, and Joe Paterno. And just a reminder of the two key offensive trends we keep an eye on now in every game. The Hawkeyes are up to 34-2 and when rushing for 100 yards or more in a game over the past four seasons, and 0-11 when failing to do that. And the Hawkeyes are also 12-0 and when scoring 20 or more points points in a game since the start of the 2017 season and just 2 and 6 when scoring less than 20 points. Stay tuned in this podcast as Scott Docterman and I go in depth to talk about what to expect Saturday afternoon inside Beaver Stadium. Nice beaver. Thank you. I just had it stuck. Let me help you with that. Bigram in at quarterback for his second series. Fumbled, booted into the end zone. Room service. Happy homecoming, Iowa City. Anthony Nelson. What has not gone the way for the Maryland Terrapins so far this afternoon in Iowa City. As Pigram tries to pick it up, he kicks it into the end zone. And Anthony Nelson, Christmas came early Mm. for him as he jumps on a touchdown to put the Hawkeyes up. A convincing 22-point lead. Let's hear from the head coaches in this coming Saturday's game. First up, Iowa head coach Kirk Ferentz, who provides his overview of this year's Penn State team. It's a little bit interesting, you know, in contrast to the last couple weeks uh, with Penn State. We've played them now three straight years, so I think we know their personnel, their coaching staff, vice versa. I'm sure they feel the same way about us, and that's uh, it's a little bit different in terms of our preparation. You know, I think it makes it, I don't want to say easier, but uh, at least there's some familiarity there, and again, I'm sure they feel the same way. You know, one thing about playing Penn State, and this has been true for a long, long time. Guaranteed, they're going to have good players, and they do. They've recruited well forever up there. They're tremendously gifted, tremendously athletic, and uh, they've got good size, speed, talent. Uh, that, that's a given. The other, other part about it, anytime you go to, to uh, State College, you're going to play in a great venue. It's a very challenging place to play. Uh, it's a great college venue, very loud crowd, and you know, enthusiastic crowd. So all those things are constants, and it's uh, going to certainly be the same this week for us as we get ready. I think really, you know, what it gets down to is uh, us doing a good job at the things we've done a pretty good job of this season. We've prepared well for the most part during the course of the year. We've shown up and played pretty hard, and uh, that's what's going to take uh, moving forward here. Uh, I've said it many times. I'll say it again. I think our seniors are doing a great job. It's not a large senior class, but they're doing a great job of providing leadership, and we've got a lot of young guys uh, joining right in with them. So uh, for them to get the younger guys on board is certainly uh, helpful. I think it's added to our uh, better practices, better preparation, and better team discipline. So uh, those are things that are going to have to continue if we're going to be successful this week, certainly. And the biggest thing I think, you know, moving forward to on top of our preparation is just staying focused. And that's always a challenge, not only in college football, I think all levels of football, but uh, certainly when it comes to college football, that's uh, a challenge any team faces. Ferentz was asked about Nittany Lions star quarterback Trace McSorley, who's been a thorn in Iowa side the last couple of years. You know, whether it's 
how they're trending right now, where you look back three years, uh, at least for us, you know, going back two seasons prior to this one, he, he's a, a dual threat. He can really, uh, you know, beat you with his hands or his feet or his uh, arm. But I think, you know, beyond that, I think the thing most impressive to me is just the, the way he, what he brings to his team. And I think it's true of every quarterback. Uh, you know, really good quarterbacks bring a lot of value to the team uh, and are really meaningful to a team's success. Uh, I think he really epitomizes that. And it's kind of interesting, you know, I was just thinking about it down there, put my tie on. You know, you got two quarterbacks that are pretty good quarterbacks in this game, very different quarterbacks, but neither one of them are, uh, you know, uh, haven't gone to elite camps or, you know, I don't think they got any awards, you know, coming out of high school for being great quarterbacks necessarily nationally or on the recruiting front, but they're just good high school football players that have really uh, blossomed into good college players. But, uh, you know, his case is really that an illustration of that. I think he was probably being looked at more as a defensive player, uh, as I understand it, initially in the recruitment phase. And boy, he's a tremendous quarterback. He's just such a, bottom line, is a winner. He's a winner. And every time there, he's out on the field, they got a good chance to win. Ferentz discusses how valuable defensive end Parker Hesse is to this team and to the defense. I think he's extremely valuable. And I'm, you know, not promoting or campaigning him, uh, for him being MVP of our team. But in a lot of ways, you can make that argument just because he's uh, he's such a strong, quiet leader on our football team. And I, I don't know if quiet's the right word, but, you know, Parker's not necessarily outspoken, overly outspoken. He's not overly uh, demonstrative with his actions. Uh, but his steady his, his determination, his uh, just his intensity and his work ethic uh, are really rare. And uh, you know, it's it's a he's just a very special guy. Uh, he played played at a very young age, probably before he was ready. Uh, you know, I was flashback to that championship game. He's playing against a first rounder who went to the NFL and played well as a rookie and is continuing to play well. And he's out there competing against that that guy. You know, giving it everything he had. And now you look at the growth and uh, uh, progress that he's made since that time. So everything about him's quality and. Uh, uh, anybody, any young player in our program, if they would follow his lead, that'd be really uh, well advised. And, and I can say it about a lot of our guys, but I mean, he just, he's hes, he's run the race and he's run it really well. And uh, boy, I'm thrilled he's on our football team. And just saying on, on the, uh, somebody asked about the height of our D-line. I think we minimize how tall he is sometimes. I got in the elevator with those guys, uh, I don't know if it was in Indiana or whatever. I'd end up in the D-line elevator. And, you know, you think of Parker being like my height and then you get next to him and you realize he's not my height, but it's just because all those other guys are so tall, he looks like he's He's my height. So, yeah, he's he's got a lot of good things going for him. And Kirk talks about the significant improvement of starting punter Colton Rastetter after the struggles at that position last season. I mean, he was always coming back. Just, yeah, I don't know if he's going to be the starter. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's we talked about competition earlier. I think it's, it's you know, and clearly at that position last year, nobody nobody took the reins. But to his credit, he has taken the reins. Yeah, and, and to me, that's college football. And that, that's why it's so hard to predict what teams are going to be good or all those types of things. Because if a guy ends up coming through and playing well, uh, then, you know, you got a chance to have, maybe have a good team. And I think that was one of our biggest wild cards coming in the season was the punting game. And uh, But, you know, it's it's a player's job to have a plan and work that plan. It's a coach's job to support them in that plan and get, make sure he's got a good plan. Uh, but but ultimately, you know, it either is going to happen or isn't going to happen. And, uh, you know, if it does, then you got a chance for some good things to happen. And, you know, he, he's got a chance right now to be a really good punter for two years. And he, he did a great job, I thought, Saturday. Uh, not, you only had to do it twice, but uh, uh, boy, those were both very, very important punts. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure in saying that, you know, he couldn't have done that last year. I can't prove it, but I, I sure would have been more nervous last year. I wasn't nervous at all Saturday. I just felt like, you know, we're going to be okay because I think he's, he's he's got a maturity now that he didn't have last year. And that's just, that comes through hard work and a lot of times through tribulation. You know, it's tough, but you got to go through it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>
Visit HawkeyesMike.com and check the links for up-to-date information on Iowa games, TV channels, team schedules, and more. You can subscribe to all Hawkeyes Mike podcasts through iTunes. And you can follow Hawkeyes Mike on Medium and Twitter. Next, we hear from Penn State head coach James Franklin, who provides his overview of this year's Iowa team. Uh, so much respect for Coach Ferentz and what he's been able to do in his career. Uh, pretty amazing 20 years he's been there. I think he's the longest tenured coach in the country. You know, they 16 returning starters off, off last year's team. Their, their offensive coordinator, Coach Ferentz's son, you know, has done a really nice job for them over the last couple of years. Uh, they have, I think they are, um, they've only allowed six sacks to fewest in the Big Ten this year. Quarterback Nate Stanley's really increased his completion percentage from 55% to 61% this year. And then obviously their tight ends are what make them go on offense. Both Hawkinson and Fant um, are really nice complementary pieces for each other. Fant may be the best receiving tight end in the country. Um, And then Hawkinson does a really good job as well. Hawkinson does a really good job at both. He's extremely physical. He's nasty. Uh, makes a bunch of plays for them and brings a mentality to their offense. Uh, they're a run-first team, uh, more of what you would call a traditional Big Ten offense, run-first, uh, set up the play-action pass uh, off of that. they are multiple personnel, 12, 21, 22, and 11. I think one of the things that's probably more challenging this year than the years past is when those two tight ends are on the field, they can line up in a two-back set, they can line up in a two-tight end set, uh, they can line up in a three-wide receiver set uh, and this year they could line up in what we would term a spread set like a, a four wide receiver set but they're doing it out of 12 personnel so you know obviously as defensive coordinators you like to be able to put people in categories out of 11 personnel they do this out of 12 personnel they do this out of 21 personnel they do they do this um, and that is challenging to do obviously based on on their guys I've already mentioned the two tight ends and then Nate Stanley the quarterback and then the running back Torin Young are the guys that have you know really kind of jumped out to me on tape and then defensively Phil Parker. They're as sound as it gets, you know, on defense and really have been for a long time. Um, he's been he's been their defense coordinator now for six years. They're disciplined, they're physical, and they're well coached. Base front, uh, four down front, they're typically going to be uh, some type of two high defense, whether that's quarter, quarter, half, whether that's cover two, or whether that's you know, quarters. Um, and then obviously they'll mix in some other things where they close the middle of the field up and play either cover one or some type of uh, uh, zone pressure. You know, the thing I think that really kind of stands out about them is their front. I think it's I think it's by far the best front um, that we have faced in in, in two years. Uh, they are long. They are uh, physical. They are stout. Uh, they make a bunch of plays. It seems like they're um, 6'7", 290 pounds kind of across the board. I think the DNs are like 6'7", and 6'8", um, 270-something pounds. Very Carl Nassib-like, I would describe their DNs. And then a D tackle. One of their D tackles is six foot eight. So they are big. They are strong, um, and they do a really good job of of not only um, you know being able to stop the run, um, but also being able to rush the passer in obvious passing situations, um, and then also batting balls down. You know, so you know, that'll be a real challenge for our for our front. Anthony Nelson, uh, defensive end. Uh, AJ Epinesa is is probably their best pure pass rusher, although. 
although uh, Nelson is really good as well. And then in the back end, uh, Amani Hooker uh, is a guy who's played a lot of football for him. And then special teams, I think the biggest thing there, LeVar Woods, their special teams coordinator, doing a really good job there, leading the nation in um, in kickoff return average, you know, at 30, 30.1 yards. Franklin was asked if he will have to change up his normal defensive schemes facing Iowa's multi-pronged offensive attack. Challenging. I think whenever you can be multiple like they are out of out of one personnel group um, and not just do it, do it well, that, it's challenging. Yeah, I think you guys have seen us in the past, um, you know, we, we against these type of teams, you, you maybe you play more regular personnel where you have three true linebackers on the field. Um, I think you guys have also seen us play uh, just like when we play some passing teams, we'll get into what we've called our wild package, which is, you know, three or four defensive ends on the field. I think you guys have also seen where we put, you know, three to four D tackles on the field at the same time to maybe be a little bit more stout at the defensive end position. So there's a lot of different things that we do. And obviously it's all week to week based on our opponent and what they try to do. So yeah, this, you know, this, this will be a challenge for us. Um, obviously completely different style and approach than what we, than what we saw last week. And Franklin talks about whether quarterback Trace McSorley, who is currently directly responsible for 60% of Penn State's total offense, is getting worn down both physically and mentally. No, I think as you guys know with Trace, he's really steady Eddie. He, he never really gets too high, never really gets too low. The only time you really ever see that is after a touchdown when he does his uh, celebratory grand slam, home run, whatever you want to call it. But uh, he handles things really well. He communicates really well. I know, uh, you know, he came in and had a good conversation with Coach Ronnie about something that he wanted to make a suggestion on offense about tweaking something that we do in terms of practice, you know, what periods we jog through, and what periods we go full speed to try to help with some timing and things like that. But Trace is, Trace is a guy that's always part of the solution. He's never, you know, about the problems. I think, you know, as I think we all realize it's easy to identify problems, but but Trace is a solution guy. So, you know, he's he's always been really good at that from a leadership standpoint. He's always been really good at that from an ownership standpoint. Um, you know, Mondays, for example, you know, um, I think he had the entire offense in there, which I think happens every Monday, you know, watching tape together, having discussions, all those types of things, which culturally uh, is really important for us. Are you or your local Iowa company looking for a new roof or sheet metal work? TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal specializes in low-slope commercial and industrial roofing and sheet metal. Building strong and safe in the Midwest for over 50 years, TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, located in Ely, Iowa, just south of Cedar Rapids, provides strong, expert customer service and the best quality fit for you, their customer. For a free estimate, give TNK a call at 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663. You can also visit their brand new website at tkroofing.com. TNK Roofing and Sheet Metal, your home for all your low slope roofing systems. Give them a call today. Again, 319-848-4191 or toll free at 1-800-383-7663.
Time now for our weekly reporter's notebook feature this week with Scott Docterman. You can read Scott's articles online at theathletic.com slash team slash Iowa dash Hawkeyes. You can also follow Scott on Twitter at Scott Docterman. Scott reflects on the win over Maryland and he previews the matchups in the Saturday's Iowa-Penn State game. Plus, we talk some Big Ten. Scott, let's start by reflecting on Iowa's really overwhelmingly dominating win over Maryland. Uh, amazing time of possession and number of plays run differential, a shutout, horrible wind conditions, and yet uh, instead of relying on the pass this time, they used the run to defeat the Terps. Yeah, it was uh, pretty impressive. I mean, uh, you look at the way that they were able to attack, you know, a really physical defense. The, you know, Maryland's not a passive defense. Uh, they run kind of a 3-4 hybrid, but uh, what it what it's really geared towards is, uh, you know, is just being very physical up front and uh, kind of controlling the line of scrimmage, a lot like what Iowa's did. So the fact that Iowa could blow them off the ball the way they did and uh, and really control tempo and and uh, I think was really impressive because it's something that Iowa really hasn't done much of this year, which is really just be physical on each and every play or at least uh, been able to own the line of scrimmage. And they were able to do that against Maryland. And, you know, and, you know, for the last few weeks before that, we saw some really good passing performances, but really not since the opener did we see them, you know, Iowa just trample the opponent. And this opponent was, uh, you know, a, a tough team to run through. So I think it was a really important and good performance for the Hawkeyes. Okay, turning to Penn State this Saturday, 2.30 Central Time at Beaver Stadium, an extremely difficult place for opposing teams to play. And yet the Nittany Lions have lost uh, two home games in a row, Michigan State and Ohio State. For Iowa, a chance for a statement game. For Penn State, they can't afford another loss this season, really. Yeah, this is uh, this is a t- kind of a crossroads moment for both programs, I think. I mean, you know, Iowa could lose this game and certainly go on and have a nice uh, season when it comes to the win-loss column, but, you know, where's your statement game? Where's the game against a really good opponent that you beat? And that there isn't one. You know, possibly Iowa State could sneak into that conversation, but that's really about it. For Penn State, yeah, they've already lost two games. This is a year where it's starting to look like it's slipping away a bit for them. And, uh, you know, and then they have a kind of a trifecta coming up of Iowa, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And, and you start to think, oh, wow, this could be a season that really slips far away where you have aspirations of possibly playing in Indianapolis, maybe going to the playoff, and now you're staring at potential of a 7-5 and five type of year. So, uh, you know, I think both teams have that potential to really find this as a crossroads game. Now, you know, does it define the season? I don't think it will define the season for either team, but I think it's really important for both teams. So it's a tough place to play generally, but, uh, you know, I think style of play will matter in this matchup more so than, than uh, you know, location. I mean, it's going to be a rabid crowd, but if Iowa controls the line of scrimmage the way it did against Maryland, uh, it'll take that crowd out pretty quick. Well, let's talk about the matchup between Iowa's offense and Penn State's defense. And looming over this game potentially is the weather forecast, which is pretty bad, a chance of like a wintry mix or rain all day long, apparently. Um, they dealt with the weather issues last weekend with uh, winds. So, you know, weather has a potential of affecting all of the matchups here. But when you look at Iowa's offense, which is becoming one of the, certainly the most productive in recent history for the Hawkeyes against a very aggressive Penn State defense. Yeah, Iowa's offense right now is is kind of off the charts in some of the th- areas that, you know, they're able to, to tend with. And and it's not just total yards, although, you know, they, they're in decent shape at almost 400 a game. It's not just passing offense where you see it at almost 
almost 232 a game. Where it is is it's on third down. Iowa has 737 yards on third down, which is the best in the country. It's better than everybody. And it's crazy to think like that, you know. But they have more passes of 25-plus yards on third down than anybody else. You know, their completion percentage is almost 68%. So Iowa's able to, to you know, when it comes to that clutch, you know, time in the of a drive, they're able to, to move the ball forward. And outside of turnovers, they really haven't stopped themselves much over the last few weeks. Now, um, you know, going against Penn State, Penn State has struggled in some areas. You know, number one, you know, their rush defense, they're ranked 10th in the Big Ten, at, you know, 165 yards a game. They're gonna, they're not doing so well there. And then likewise, when it's third and short, they give up 4.8 yards per carry. That's really, uh, those numbers are really, are really tough for the, for Nittley, for the Nittley Lions. And then, uh, you know, overall, their total defense, they give up almost 400 yards. So this, uh, this team, as good as it's been, and it does have some excellent athletes on defense, it's not been very cohesive. The back seven hasn't performed the way that it usually does. They lost some players, obviously, to graduation that they haven't been able to replace. And uh, they've struggled stopping the run. So all of those things kind of add up to Iowa having a pretty strong advantage going against, uh, you know, what usually is a very stout Penn State defense. They do blitz often, and they blitz a lot out of the secondary. And they lead the Big Ten in tackles for loss at 8.4 a game and 25 sacks overall lead the Big Ten in 3.57 sacks per game. But thinking about how Iowa's offense has been attacking opponents the last few weeks, if Penn State blitzes out of the secondary and leaves uh, Iowa's receivers in man coverage, especially the two tight ends, that looks like a formula that might not succeed in a game like this. It won't succeed, especially because, you know, their safety Garrett Taylor is out for the first half after a targeting call. You know, I think, you know, uh, Indiana tried that, tried to blitz on almost every down against Iowa, and Iowa has only allowed six sacks over seven games. That's just incredible for the style of offense that they play with and, and the proficiency in which they pass. So, uh, you know, Iowa has done a really good job. Blitz pickup has been very good. Uh, Mackay Sargent has done an excellent job of doing that. He's probably the best of the running backs, although Kelly Martin's also been very good at that. So, um, you know, it's kind of pick your poison if you're Penn State. You know, you, do you run blitz, do you, you know, and, and try to, you know, stifle the passing attack right off the bat or, and force, uh, you know, Nate Stanley to make an errant pass? Or or do you sit back and he can pick you apart if you don't get to the quarterback? So now, granted, you know, with 25 total sacks, it's it, they've been strong. But last week, a lot of those were in pure passing situations against, uh, you know, Indiana. You know, and Shaka Tony had four. This is going to be, uh, you know, so it's going to be a challenge for both teams in that regard. But I just think Iowa is, is you know, strong enough to be able to withstand anything that Penn State throws at them throughout the whole game. Yeah, Nate Stanley really over the last few weeks, again, been pretty terrific stats, except each, he seems to be throwing at least one, what you could, for lack of a better term, just call boneheaded pick in each one of these games. They all, they're like, especially a couple of weeks ago, it was almost inexplicable. Yeah, I would say the only downfall for Stanley really this year is, you know, he, he's already matched last year's numbers uh, as far as interceptions with six. And so, 
you know, that in and of itself isn't that big of a deal because he's only really getting one per game. But but yeah, I mean, you're looking at him going, OK, that wasn't you weren't trying to, to you know, test the defensive back here. They were kind of boneheaded. And and uh, whether it was, you know, the, the pass against Minnesota, which never really came back to hurt him, but it still just didn't look good. And then likewise against, uh, you know, last week's was it <laughs> was one that could have been a, a problem for him in a tighter game, I thought, at least at that point in that juncture. So he's he's got to get a little bit better could handle on that. You know, fundamentals still sometimes slip for him. But but by and large, he's having an excellent season. And, you know, and, and really, you know, the numbers show that. Yeah, 16 touchdowns already through the year, nearly 223 yards passing a game, uh, 61% completions. Again, the tight ends continue to excel. It's amazing. And with the emergence that we've seen over the last two or three weeks of the wide receivers, it's really making the running game click even more like it did last Saturday and almost had their first 100-yard rusher last Saturday when Kelly Martin finished with 98 yards and they pulled him out of the game. But I wanted to throw out an idea, which it's we were thinking about it over the weekend after, after last Saturday's game. And the more I thought about defenses now having to scheme against this version of an Iowa offense, and let's say you're in a single back set, two wides and two tight ends. Your defensive scheme in that set with Hawkinson and Fant is almost like you have to scheme for the two tight ends and the two wide receivers, but you also have to scheme and be prepared for like six receivers because the two tight ends, especially Fant, are almost more like a wide receiver. They're, they're very difficult matchups. If you play a man, you know, they're, they're bigger than the defensive secondary and the linebackers can't keep up with them. You know, every team has tried something different against these guys in the last, especially the last three weeks, and all of them have failed. And, you know, Maryland was, uh, it's a little bit of an outlier simply because the weather was such a factor. But you you go back to Minnesota. They, they stacked the box with eight, and they were determined not to let the tight ends beat them, and they were determined not to let the running game beat them. So they they figured, you know what, we'll just let the wide, you know, if the wide receivers get open, so be it. Well, they did, and they did repeatedly. And, the, and Iowa's wide receivers stepped up for the first time I can remember in at least three years. You saw the Iowa wide receivers kind of own the game. And then you look at Indiana, and what they figured was, well, we can't get pressure on him, so we're going to blitz. And that will either nip the, the running game in the bud, and then we'll get some pressure on the quarterback. Well, it didn't either. And then basically they allowed the, the tight ends to be in single coverage, and it was a disaster for them. You know, and then last week, you know, it was more of a traditional sense, kind of the 3-4-4-3 hybrid that, that Maryland presented, and uh, did a nice job. They have some good athletes, but but overall, I mean, it was really kind of difficult for them to contain the running game because they were cognizant of the pass. So, you know, it's it's a, you know, throw out all the cliches, pick your poison here with Iowa, that yeah, you have to be, if, if they're running what's 12 personnel, two tight ends, two wide receivers, and one running back, it's it's such a balanced and even formation that you got to be prepared for both. So how do you do it? Well, there, there's no easy way to do it. And you have to try to read what's going to what's gonna happen. And, and really, most teams, you know, over the last several years have said, okay, we're going to let the, you know, take our shots with the wide receivers. And they've never been beaten by them. But now they're getting beaten by them. So now they have to take their shots at other places. And, it's, and uh, the more it functions at a high level, the more challenging it's going to be for opponents to hone in on everything Iowa does because Iowa right now is executing at a high level in every single phase of offense, which we have not seen since 2010. And the combination of the, the three wideouts, Smith Easley and Smith Marset, are combining for quite a bit of yards a game. And, you know, Kirk's reference the last couple of weeks, you're watching Brandon Smith grow up before your eyes. That catch 
catch he made in the end zone with the Maryland defender hanging onto one arm was spectacular. You know, and he's caught 11 passes now in Big Ten play, you know, 14 for the season. And really when, when you saw him finally make a play, it was against Iowa State on that fade route, you know, 30-yard go route or whatever it was right there at the end of the game that led to the only touchdown. That was the one that, you know, kind of, you could almost feel a collective exhale for him and Stanley, you know, because they put so much pressure on themselves. You could just see, uh, okay, finally. Now you're seeing Brandon Smith come up with big plays every week. You know, Minnesota, the one where he reached around the, the defensive back to catch that ball. Last week he had a defensive back hanging on him. But, you know, he's 6'3", 220, makes those catches all the time, and he's got such tremendously large hands that it doesn't phase him. He can catch those types of passes. So the more that people are looking at him, they're going to say, you know what, this guy is a true X receiver, a big, you know, split end type that you got to you gotta ratchet up for. Almost, you know, kind of similar to Noah Fant in his abilities. So it just means that there's going to be more opportunities for everybody else. I mean, Nick Easley's doing a good job of getting open. You know, Amir Smith-Marset's clearing out a lot of the, the coverage deep. And, uh, you know, at some point I expect him to get a little bit more open and, and doing some more things. And as they grow, it's it's just, it's you could just see it every single week get better and better. It's Iowa in this one. I mean, Penn State is not what it was. It does have some great athletes and, and it does have some pass rushers who are pretty good. But in this case, it's it's all Iowa for me. All right, let's turn the page. Look at Iowa's defense matching up against a Penn State offense that if you're an Iowa fan or a member of the Iowa team, you're thinking, thank God there's no Saquon Barkley this year. But Trace McSorley is still there and he's been a pain in the side for the Hawkeyes. And they've got a really good running back in Miles Sanders. He's no Barkley, but he's pretty darn good. Yeah, they've got a couple. They still have some pretty good athletes. And start with Trace McSorley. And, and you think about guys that really, you know, have been a thorn in your side for a long time. He's one of them. He's kind of like a Dan Persa type to some extent, you know, just able to do it both ways and just you know, aggravate you to death, kind of like a gnat in front of your face. And, you know, and, and, you know, he's, you know, he runs the ball well. He's got eight rushing touchdowns that leads the team. He has almost 80 yards a game rushing, you know, and then he also is a, is a good all around quarterback, you know, 11 touchdowns, three, you know, interceptions, almost 1,500 yards. He's off a little bit off what uh, the, of Stanley's pace, but, but by and large, he's doing a nice job. The problem that they have right now is at wide receiver. And they lost they lost some significant players. Mike Gasicki, uh, Deshaun Hamilton. You know, they're in the NFL now, and, and they're really good players. And their replacements have been uh, piss poor, frankly. I mean, they've dropped a lot of passes. They, I think I want to say my colleague Audrey Snyder from uh, Penn State uh, documented that they had 21 drops this year to lead the Big Ten. And they had a ton last week against Indiana. And uh, and that's really hurting them. I mean, completion percentage right now, Trace McSorley is only at 53.9%. That's not getting it done. You know, that's that's those are pretty rough numbers. Now, when you start to get on third down, they're terrible. I mean, right now they're ranked 128 on third down passing with 37% completion percentage. They're, they're getting in third and long and they can't complete passes. They only have 14 first down, pa- you know, first downs they've made on third and uh, on passing downs. That's 113th in the country. So right now, you what you want to do is, you know, Miles Sanders has been terrific. You know, in fact, his numbers are a little bit higher than that of Barkley, but 
He's not quite the special player that Barkley was, but he is an NFL caliber player. Uh, so you got to be cognizant of the run, but but really, if you force them into third and long, they are not been successful at all. They have they weren't really that way either two years ago, but you didn't get them, and they didn't get you in third and long. You know, so it didn't matter. And now that's been a problem for them, and that's what other teams have done, and that's what even Indiana did last week. So I think they have some issues. They're not as good up front as they want to be. They're not as physical as they want to be, and uh, you know they've been able to take care of business against some modest opponents but now they're starting to get the physical teams and we'll really see what they're going to be uh with what they're all about Uh, james franklin's press conference on tuesday just prior to kirk's was kind of interesting there a fair amount of discussion about um mcsorley accounting for too much of penn state's offense you know issues of he's not a big guy issues of you know is this going to wear him down the longer the season goes and that sort of discussion but if you look at his numbers to your point both passing and running he's accounting for almost 60 percent of penn state's entire total offense you don't want that out of your quarterback unless it's cam newton and you know and you've got trace mcsorley's you know six foot you know kind of built like aaron Kraft. i don't know, I remember the old basketball player from ohio state but i mean he's just a do-it-all tough guy great leader type but you need players around him to to, to step up and be bigger better players on the on each and every game and they're not getting it that is a problem for penn state so he has definitely taken up too much that's in some ways, I think that's James Franklin challenging his other players around him to say, look, we can't do this for, uh, uh, you know, anymore and leave it all on him. Because especially, again, you play Iowa and you play Michigan, two of the best defenses in the country, uh, you'll get your quarterback killed. And then what? You know, and then you've got nothing. So I, I think right now they're kind of crisis mode on the offense that they need those receivers to step up. And they had some that had injuries. They're now looking at true freshmen. So um, this is not... This is a really interesting offense, and I mean, I'm making Penn State sound bad. They're not bad, but they're just in a mode right now that I think they their struggles play so well into what Iowa does well that it's you know it, it's very capable of Iowa to uh, shut them down. The linebacker position, they survived the little spate of injuries they've had there. Nick Neiman came back last week. They get Jack Hockaday back in the middle this week. Christian Welch has done really a terrific job filling in there, and you know you still have uh, Parker. Hesse and A.J. Epinesa and uh, Anthony Nelson, kind of the sack kings out there, and a defense that's ranked very highly in many national stats. You know, they're, they are very high in just about everywhere. I mean, you're talking about, you know, right now their their rush D is tied number one in the Big Ten, one of the best in the country. You know, they, they're doing so many different things that, you know, have been pretty impressive. And, you know, the sacks totals, I mean, they're, they're ranked fourth in the Big Ten with 22. But, you know, last week they didn't really get a lot of opportunities to tee off either because Maryland didn't run the just primarily ran the ball and you look at Epineza has six tackles or six sacks you know Nelson has five Hesse has three you know that's been a really good rotation for Iowa I think even more impressive to me was the way those defenders set the edge against uh you know the jet sweeps and what have you and I think this week will be just as imperative with uh Penn State's RPOs so you know this is a this is a defense that's capable of doing a lot of good things now Christian Bulch played really well last week especially 
especially and, and against Indiana to, you know, and, and, but you know, this week presents a few more challenges. He's going to be the one starting, you know, j- even though Jack Hockaday's back, even though Imani Jones is back, you know, we'll see if he's going to be in the right place at the right time because Penn State's done a good job of scheming against Iowa's linebackers and, and perimeter players in the past. So, you know, it, it's, it's going to be on him because if he's not going to perform very well, then I, I would expect to see Jack Hockaday at some point. And do you think we'll see more of Imani Hooker at outside linebacker now that Neiman's back? Because that's been, you know, the kind of variation that they've been using, especially against teams like Penn State that, you know, sort of run a spread. They run a lot of jet sweeps, that sort of thing. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, last week they went about half and half. You know, they, they went to the, you know, half of the, the nickel type defense against Maryland and half of it's more the, the base 4-3. So I would expect them to skew a little bit more towards, uh, you know, five defensive backs because they, they like to go quick. They have their RPOs, you know, run pass options. And, and uh, you know, with that, you ha- you see a lot of, uh, you know, quick passes and, and it's hard for linebackers to get in there. And, they, you know, they do have a lot of, you know, three wide receiver sets. So I think, uh, you know, yeah, Nick Neiman's going to play some and, and he should get on the field. But I, I think that you're going to probably see a little bit more of the, those, uh, you know, the, the nickel, you know, back that they have there. And which brings Geno Stone in the game and grew up a Penn State fan, uh, you know, went to a lot of games as an unofficial visitor back in, in high school in Newcastle, Pennsylvania. And he can't wait to play this. I think he says he has 50 uh, members of his family there that are going to show up. So who has the edge in this matchup? I like Iowa in this one, too. I just think that Iowa is, uh, you know, is strong where the Nittany Lions are kind of weak. You know, I mean, third down passing, you know, completion percentage for the Nittany Lions is just not very good. And, and Iowa has a chance to really rush the passer if, if they can't get this going. So um, I'd have to say I'd like Iowa, although this one I think is a little closer than the other side of the ball. Quick look at special teams. Kind of an interesting storyline. First of all, Miguel Racinos was great last week. Playing in that win in those conditions, kicking three critical field goals. That was uh, really quite a performance. You continue to see Colton Rastetter looking nothing like he looked last year. You've got Smith Marset, terrific on uh, kick returns. And then you've got a place kicker, at least their field goal and PAT kicker for Penn State, that uh, was Riley Moss's teammate at Ankeny, Jake Pinnegar. Yeah, there's there's some interesting storylines here. And, and to me, I think, you know, probably the most electric one is just how these teams have performed on kickoffs. And, uh, you know, Iowa leads the leads the Big Ten and almost 31 yards per kick return. And I think, you know, in Penn State's at almost 27 yards. And I think what's most impressive is, especially with Iowa, is neither team has returned one for a touchdown. I mean, Penn State had a 94-yarder last week or the guy got caught inside the five. But, you know, Iowa's largest is a 60-yard return. And, and if you could consistently bring it back 35, 40 yards, I mean, you're really doing something on that, you know, that unit. You're you're erasing the, the prospect of your offense happening to pick up two extra first downs. So I really like that phase of the game. I think both kickers are pretty neat, you know, pretty good stories, you know, and then the punting is pretty much uh, a wash in this one, I would say, although Penn State's punter has not performed quite as well as he usually did. So, um, you know, I, I think, but this has the potential to tip the field one way or the other. I mean, if you have an even matchup, which at least on paper, this looks to be one that I think you you see right now, you know, you see the potential for, you know, a special teams play tipping the game one way or the other. One of the stats of the week that stood out to me, I was only punted 23 times this season. That's the least number of punts in the Big Ten and 120th in the nation. Yeah, well, uh, that, that's pretty successful, isn't it? You know, I think they're 10 of 15 on fourth down. So, I mean, Kirk Ferentz, for all of his, you know, I mean, people start to, you know, continue to, to throw the uh, stereotype about him loving punts. Uh, he's not really, 
into loving punts anymore when, you know, those opportunities now are fourth down, you know, opportunities convert. So uh, it also shows you what the, how good the offense is that they don't, they're not forced to do that either. Before we get your prediction, quick uh, Big Ten talk. Last week's results were pretty darn interesting. Purdue just manhandling Ohio State, almost embarrassingly so. Uh, Michigan really didn't seem to have a whole lot of difficulty with Michigan State, uh, at least once the game kicked off. Prior to that, they had some issues. Nebraska finally gets its first win. Yeah, and I think, you know, you're starting to see kind of the, the everything starting to gel as to what what's going on in Big Ten country. I mean, people have made a lot of comparisons. The Purdue-Ohio State game, you know, along with last year's Iowa-Ohio State game. And I think there there's, you know, the results seem similar. You know, road game at a West Division team that's unranked and getting blown out. But but I think they're, they're kind of two different stories. One, last year, I think Ohio State was really good. And this year, they're not. You know, and then the way Purdue dominated them just shows that Ohio State has so many problems that I, you know, it just, it, it'd be hard for me to, to bet on them to win the East again. I just don't think they're quite there. And it also shows that Purdue is is now, you know, at least in the loss column, tied for first place in the West. And everybody needs to be cognizant that this isn't just sorry little Purdue. They are capable of lighting up the scoreboard on you. And now when you look at Michigan and Michigan State, Michigan's clearly better, much more physical. I think they're the best team in the East, probably the best team in the league. And so I think they're, that's a really fascinating development. And then, you know, Nebraska is quietly getting better. I mean, people aren't really, I mean, it's easy to kind of make fun of them, you know, especially living in Iowa, people have, but but really you look at it and they're consistently improving and and at least on offense. So they're, they're going to be a tough out if you get in a track beat with them. Now, if you can shut down their offense, it, it, you're going to score at will. But, but uh, you know, I think overall, you know, Wisconsin coming back and, and playing, you know, slam ball with Illinois, I think you're starting to see the foundation of the Big Ten for the over the final month of the season. Some really key games this weekend for the Big Ten West. Now, right off the bat, the big one there is Bethune-Cookman at Nebraska. Oh, no, wait, I'm just kidding. Okay. You've got, this could be in some ways a separation Saturday here because you have Wisconsin at Northwestern and you've got Purdue at Michigan State and then, of course, Iowa at Penn State. Yeah, and let's not forget about Illinois and Maryland. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, loser doesn't get to go to a bowl game for sure. No. Yeah, I think what it does is it, it this weekend kind of determines, okay, who, you know, separates. This is bowl positioning in some cases. I mean, Purdue and, and Michigan State, you know, who wins, uh, you know, maybe is it an upper level bowl, who loses is maybe in a lower level bowl. You know, Iowa, Penn State, uh, you know, kind of the same thing, but they're both ranked. And then Wisconsin Northwestern's probably got the most importance simply because they're both tied in the West Division. And, uh, you know, kind of like with Iowa, Wisconsin, you know, a month ago, this, you know, tiebreaker matters in this game. And, you know, what's always been fascinating to me is Wisconsin has only won at Evanston once since 1999. So this is a, a fascinating um, development there. So, you know, I, I think, you know, what you see out of these games are, you know, is, is going to also have a big bearing on the final month of the season. You know, who goes to what bowls, what the fan bases think of their programs. I mean, if uh, Purdue, for instance, beats Michigan State after Michigan State lost to Michigan, um, you're going to start to see some kind of sour discussions in, in Lansing. And, and uh, same thing if Wisconsin happens to lose at Northwestern. OK, let's go back to Iowa at Penn State. 110,000 people 
plus or minus a few. Beaver Stadium. What's your prediction for this one? I, I like Iowa in this one, and, and I actually I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm very I'm fairly confident. I just think everything Iowa does is is so good versus what Penn State does. And and sometimes matchups just kind of do that. You know, it's not necessarily the, the team, you know, is that much better. It's just the matchup is so favorable for an opponent. And even though this game is in Happy Valley and Iowa's lost four straight to, to Penn State, I just there's just something about this game that I think stands out for me in Iowa. So I'm gonna be a little conservative and in, in the final score here, but I, I'm gonna say Iowa 27-20. But I think there's some potential here for this one to be a route. That is good news. That is good news. For Matt Canada and Maryland, they drop this one, fall to four and three on the season. Iowa, meanwhile, improving to six and one behind a efficient, not spectacular, but efficient, productive afternoon, running the ball especially for 224 yards on the ground. Nate Stanley was 11 of 22 for 86 yards and a touchdown pass. Her parents with his sixth win of the season. Final score, 23 to nothing. Iowa doing it for the Swarm. South Dubuque Street, we love you. Our thanks again to ESPN2 for the Maryland game highlights, and thanks as always to Scott Doctorman. We hope you've enjoyed this program. All Hawkeyes Mike podcasts are available and can be subscribed to on iTunes, Overcast, and other podcasting apps. HawkeyesMike.com, podcasting original programming on Iowa athletics for 12 seasons. It's all Hawkeyes all the time on HawkeyesMike.com, one passion, many voices. Nice work, everyone. Sharp broadcast. Really good. Everyone on the floor as well. Really a lot of hustle. I liked it. This has been a presentation of Hawkeye's Mike, LLC.